Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. What do you do when you lose sight of God? When you can't see Him or you don't really know where he is. How do you behave when you don't see him and you forget about him? How do you act when you lose sight of the fact that he's patient? You lose sight of the fact that he's kind? You lose sight of the fact that he's faithful? I don't know about you, but when I lose sight of God and his goodness and his faithfulness, it changes my behavior. Yesterday, I was at a volleyball game for one of my sons, and the ref made some pretty stupid calls, and my mouth was very quick to tell him how stupid he was. I, in that moment, had lost sight of the fact that it was only a game and that God was my king. I am very quick, uh, probably none of you would be, quick to lose sight of the fact that God has been faithful to me and kind to me and good to me, and I am his son, and I live to represent him everywhere I go when I ignore or lose sight of or can't see for whatever reason, or how about just like, there's times you just don't want to follow. You just don't want to act like a Christian. You make a conscious choice to behave in a way that does not represent the fact that you're a child of God. We've all been there, right? This is pretty normal as a follower of God to be at a place where we forget, ignore, or disregard the fact that God has been good and kind and faithful, and I am his son, you are his daughter, and there's a way to act and live based on that reality when we lose sight of the goodness, the greatness, the love, the kindness of God and behave kind of like whatever we feel like doing. Is that why there are problems in our life? I mean, maybe it's oversimplified, right? But is there an aspect of the problems, the injustice, the pain, the difficulty, the chaos, the disunity in our world, in our families, in our workplace? Is it because God's not at the forefront of our minds? That how he wants me to behave is not how I behave? Is there an aspect of that if he was at the front of my mind, and not an afterthought, is it possible there would be less confusion, pain, injustice, difficulty in my home, in my workplace? I think it's possible. So we're on this unique journey as a church family in 2022, we're kind of taking throughout the whole year the major chapters and themes of the entire Bible and looking at the whole thing over the period of a year and encouraging you to read your Bible And here's why. We think the whole Bible in 2022 will lead to a whole you. See that little (laughs) marketing? We get a bumper sticker out of this. The whole Bible in 2022 will lead to a whole you. What, What does this mean? We are, as a society, disintegrating. We're getting pulled apart. I mean, it's true in our communities, but it's true in our hearts. Stress and the struggle financially, relationally, sexually, emotionally, mentally, all the different composites of who we are, we're we're getting disintegrated. And how will we be made whole again? I think it's God 
who can make us whole, and he has given us his word that reintegrates us. And when I pursue his truth, when I take it in to my life, it has the ability of right-sizing me, reintegrating me, making me whole and new. And so as we go through this journey in the Bible, what you see in the Bible and what you see in the world is God uses healthy people and healthy leaders to bring about change and goodness in our society. But to be honest, we're not whole and we're not healthy. How is that going to change? It's going to be as we reintegrate with our king and our God and we take his truth and invite it to change us. And so we're encouraging you to be in your Bibles and we created a Bible reading plan. I hope you're jumping in. If you forgot or stopped, just start again, taking in the truth because it's going to make you whole. Let's pray together. God, I can stop right now because what's going to make us whole is you and your truth. And that's in some ways all we need to hear today. Do you have more for us? So help us to put aside our distractions, whether we're at home watching this in our living room or listening on our device doing a workout, whether we're here on campus leaning in, wherever you find us, God, I pray we would see the parts of us that are not whole and disintegrated, that we would welcome your spirit, your truth, to put us back together. And would you use these next moments as a family as we open up your word to speak and work and change us and grow us into the sons and daughters you want us to be, that we might be the leaders you want us to be in this community and in this world, that we might lead like Jesus, I pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen little bit of uh, catch us up as we start again working through the whole Bible. So we're, we're sort of still at the beginning, so I can do this. We learned in the book of Genesis that God created a special relationship with the Jewish people, and he made a covenant, a contract. Jewish people will become the nation of Israel. He said, I'm going to be your God. I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. Here's your job. I want you to obey me. I want you to follow me. I want you to trust me. And God's people said, okay, we'll do it. God raised up this guy named Moses in the book of Exodus because the people of Israel found themselves in slavery. They found themselves in a crisis. So God raises up this guy named Moses who goes up against this evil empire and leads the people out of slavery into a new life. And Moses is this key leader that gives God's people his commands and best practices of how to live in a way that honors God and live that a way that helps them to be whole and healthy as humans. So if you want to know about Moses, you look at the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It kind of gives Moses's life story and leadership. And it's interesting because God does some miraculous things for the people of Israel, but they're quick to forget God and to ignore God and to disregard God. And because of that, they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses is this great leader, but like all great leaders, Moses, is die Moses dies and who's going to replace him? So we get to the book of Joshua, which we looked at last week, where Joshua is the apprentice of Moses. He becomes the next leader. And God's like, man, those are some big shoes to fill for Moses because he's such a great leader. Hey, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Your character is what is most 
important. And when you're strong and courageous, trust me, I will fight for you and I will provide for you. So we read in the book of Joshua, something unique and special happens after centuries of the Jewish people wandering and not having a place to be their own. God leads them into a land and gives them property, places to live where they can rest and engage with God and follow him and trust him. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Joshua sort of the beginning of your Bible, to the book of Joshua, Joshua 23. And so you see this pattern that's happening throughout the Bible. People need leadership. God brings them leaders, Moses first, then Joshua. And right before Joshua dies, he talks to the people of Israel. God's been faithful in providing and protecting the people. They've wandered God's been faithful, and Joshua says to them in Joshua 23, verse 14, he says, now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. You know, with all your heart and soul, that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Not one promise. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as all the good things the Lord your God has promised you have come true to you, so God will bring on you all the evil things he has threatened until you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. The Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. Joshua's like, God has been so faithful to you. He's provided for you and delivered you and supplied for you, and now he's given you property and a land and all he wants you to do is follow him, trust him. But if you don't, if you want to walk away from God, if you want to disregard him and ignore him, if he becomes an afterthought and you're influenced by your culture and world to do whatever you think is right, then you better know life is going to get painful and hard. And this is what leads us into this fascinating little book called Judges, the book of Judges. Turn to Judges chapter 2, Judges chapter 2. And at this time in the history of Israel, the community is made up of millions of people. They're divided into 12 different tribes. There's no official government. There's no taxes. There's no common military. There's no king. There's no emperor. Just a family, tribes, millions of people who have worshipped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they've seen firsthand the faithfulness and the power of God together. So what unites them is their faith in God and watching God do incredible things and telling them, here's how I want you to live. That's what unites them together. Yet once again, what we're going to see throughout the book of Judges is that the people forget the goodness of God. They ignore the goodness of God. They rebel against the goodness of God, and they do whatever is right in their own eyes. Joshua, son of Nun, the book of Judges, verse, chapter 2, verse 8. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. Can you imagine living 110 years? No thanks. And Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of some mountain I can't pronounce. Verse 10, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what the Lord had done for Israel. I want you to stop and look at that. Hear this. So this great generation comes through and they see God's protection and provision and then that generation goes away. Another generation grows up that neither knew the Lord 
nor what the Lord had done for Israel. Put yourself in this. When you know people that don't know the Lord, how do they behave? There's some great people. They behave great. Where's their hope? If you don't know the Lord, how do you get through life? What do you do? How do you behave if you don't know the Lord? And if you don't know the Lord or if you forget what the Lord has done for you, how do you act? How do you behave? Right? We can all relate to this. We do what seems right. When we don't know the Lord or we forget what he's done for us, we do whatever we think is right in our own eyes. Instead of following God, living for them, the people of Israel forget God. They don't know what he's done. They ignore him. Verse 11, then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served the Baal and the Asherahs. So they move into this land that God provides them, and they start worshiping the gods that the other locals are worshiping, gods of rain and agriculture and fertility. Instead of trusting in the living God, the one who's been faithful and provided everything from them, they're trusting in gods of nature and fertility. And it made God angry, verse 14. In his anger against Israel, the Lord God gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around them, who they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. And so here's this group of people. God's been faithful to them. Now they're blowing God off. He told them, warned them, hey, I'm bringing you into this great land. Follow me. Trust me. And now they're doing the exact opposite. Hey, I told you that if you just reject me or ignore me, then life is going to be hell. But if that's what you want to do, it's almost as if God goes, you want life without me, now here it is. Should we be surprised that God is angry? Wouldn't you be angry if you protected and provided and loved and served and gave your all and the person that you did that for said, I don't care about you and do the exact opposite? Wouldn't it make you angry? And so, yes, God is holy and perfect and righteous and good in all his ways, and yet he watches his people thumb their nose at him and say, I don't need you. And he goes, you know what? If you don't need me, then I'm going to give you what you want. You want life without me, then here is life without me. I'm removing my hand of protection. I'm removing my hand of provision. And watch what happens when you live life by yourself. That's what you want, a godless life? Here it is. It's all yours. Here's what's so incredible about God. Yes, he's angry, the text says, with his rebellious children, but it doesn't change his love for them. Yes, he says, you want life without my protection and provision? Have at it. And yet he sees his people in distress, and in his mercy, God acts. Verse 16, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of raiders. 
They're ignoring God. They're thumbing their nose at God. They're living their own lifestyle, their best life, totally rebelling against God, and God raises up judges. And what I love about this, and you see this throughout the book of Judges, it doesn't say they recognized that they had left God's presence or disregarded, rebelled him, and God waited for them to say he, they were sorry, and then God raised up judges. No, God sees in his love and mercy the behavior of his children. He hears the cries of their hearts, and he sends them judges. Now, when we hear judges, we have something that comes into our mind. We think of sort of Judge Judy or Judge Wapner, right? Black robe, gavel, like, uh, if I'm struggling, please don't send me a judge, right? Like, it's kind of, that's not, but in the Bible here, what he's talking about is not like that kind of judge. It's more like a governor whose role it is to protect and care for people. God sees their distress, and he raises up judges, who saves them out of the hands of their raiders, verse 17. Yet they wouldn't listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. They cry out in their distress. God hears their cry, sends them judges, people to help them. But what do they do to them? Verse 17. They wouldn't listen. They prostituted. I mean, I'm not sure if I ever hear that kind of language in modern America. You know what that person's doing wrong? They're prostituting themselves against God. Strong language, right? That's supposed to cause us to think, what, is they, what does he mean? What are they talking about? God made this loving covenant contract with people. I love you. I will protect you and save you and rescue you. I'm married to you. And you agreed to marry me. And now you're selling yourself to some cheap substitute. You're prostituting yourself against me. You're cheating on me, and I see it. Strong language. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was the judge that saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as that judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. And do you see the cycle of what's going on here with the Jewish people? I want you to look at this graphic. Sort of see what's happening from the beginning of the Bible. That God in his goodness shows his loving kindness to his people over and over and over again. And the people go, yes, we love you, God. You're so great. You're so kind. You're so patient. You're so forgiving. We're all in. And as the goodness just starts to be there, they take advantage of the goodness and they start wandering away from God. Eh, you know, I don't need to obey that command. What's that? Be like, God doesn't understand me. He's sort of archaic. It doesn't matter what he thinks. That's not how I would interpret that law. And they wander away. God in his goodness allows difficulty into his sons and daughters' lives. His allowing of difficulty is still his goodness, but he's like, hey, you want to wander away? I'll let you wander away. You do you. And in that, difficulty comes and people cry out to God, God, save us from these raiders, these people, warriors that are attacking us and killing your children. And God in his goodness sends them judges, these governors who come and try to lead them out of that. And as long as that judge is alive, they follow and they go, this is great. This person's a great leader. We're following. But then that leader dies and they go back and wander again. And then they cry out. And it's this cycle that you see throughout the book and the life 
of Judges. Verse 19, when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. And this is the cycle. God will follow you. Then they stop following. They stop obeying. They ignore. They disregard. They disobey. Difficulty comes because of it. They cry out. God sends them judges to lead them. As soon as the judges are dead, they go back to their old ways. So if you keep going in the book of Judges, you're going to see this repeated over and over again. Judges chapter 3 is another great example. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals. The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he sold them to foreign nations, verse 9. But then they cried out to the Lord. He raised up a deliverer, this guy named Othniel. The Spirit of the Lord came on this guy so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. The Lord gave a king into his hands, so the land lived in peace for 40 years until this guy died. And it's cycle after cycle after cycle after cycle. For a season they follow, then they cry out because they're in distress, and God rescues them through judges. You see this life cycle in the people of Israel, and you see this in ourselves. Put that graphic up again. I mean, can you see it in the people of Israel that God is good? You see it in them. Do you see it in yourself? Do you see that God has been so good to you to give you life and breath and everything you have? You are who you are, not in spite of, but because of your story with all the ups and downs and lefts and rights, God's been good to you. You live in a place where you can actually hear in a comfortable space the truth of God's word in your own language. You can hold a Bible in your hands and read it for yourselves electronically or paper. The spirit of God is among us, among brothers and sisters, and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus and he's forgiven you from your sins. How many of us have these testimonies of God's been so faithful and forgave me and I committed I'd follow you always, God. And in his goodness, he loved me and brought me in and I was baptized and I committed my life to him. And while all the goodness was good, I slowly start to drift away. And then what happens? Difficulty comes into my life. And then I beg God to fix it. Fix my wife, fix my husband, fix my kids, fix my job, fix my cancer. And I beg God for his goodness and his favor and his love. And God is always merciful and kind and he gives his love and faithfulness and he cares for his people and he's good, and then I do it again, and I do it again, and I do it again. Do you ever get tired of this cycle? I, you probably don't go through any of this, right? This isn't your story. Just me, right? That I see the goodness of God, take the goodness of God for granted, wander away, difficulty comes, I cry out for help, his goodness comes again. Oh, how merciful he is to never throw me away, though this is my life cycle. Is this how you want to live the rest of your life? That's not God's design for us. That's not how he wants, because he's so merciful and gracious, and he always 
comes to our rescue. But when I do this day in and day out, week in and week out, year in and year out, my entire life, I get myself darker and darker, deeper and deeper into pain and struggle. And yes, he forgives. Yes, he helps. But I bring onto my life and my family and my workplace and my community mounds and mounds and mounds and mounds of pain. Some of my decisions trickle down to my kids and my grandkids and from generation to generation down because of dumb decisions, sinful cycles I've been stuck in for my entire life. And God is faithful. He's merciful. But this is not the design that he has for his children. You see, that cycle of wandering and returning means you have a God of emergency, not a God of intimacy. Hear that. If you think he's a God of emergency instead of a God of intimacy, you're missing something in his character. Yes, he will show up in your emergency. That's his character. But that is not his design. He's so awesome and so kind. But I don't want to spend my life wandering I want him in the forefront of my mind. Do you want him in the forefront? Because it changes how I behave and think at a volleyball game. It makes me different. God wants to build a relationship of intimacy with you and me where we walk with him and he walks with us, where he defends us and protects us and provides for us, where he satisfies us takes care of us, where he whispers direction to us and guides us in hard situations where we need discernment and help. That we, we can trust him to be defender and helper and provider and comforter and guide every day. And all he says is, Joe, walk with me, talk with me, don't wander from me, obey me, follow me, trust me. So how do I get out of this cycle that seems to dominate my life where I see God's goodness, but I wander Pain and difficulty comes. I cry out for help. He's good. How do I break that cycle? I think the entire book of Judges is summed up in one verse. It says in Judges 17, 6, In those days Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. I mean, isn't this an apt description of our society today? Isn't this apt? Look at it. 2022. Isn't this what our world looks like? But isn't this what my heart looks like? This is a great description of our lives and the cycle that we get ourselves stuck in, that we do whatever the heck we want until we decide we need help. And then, as if God is some kind of genie in a bottle, like he's your divine Santa Claus, when you do good things, he's going to give you good things, as if he's your ticket out of hell only, and as long as you have your fire insurance, then you're good and you're going to live like hell here because you got heaven to come. Is that what it is? Is that what following Jesus looks like? No. How do you break this cycle? What does it look like? I think the best thing we can do is actually look at Jesus. I mean, this is so basic. Yes, I look to Jesus for my salvation, but he is my model of life. Do you know that Jesus experienced everything we experience? Did Jesus ever get stuck in that cycle? Never. Jesus was sexual, emotional, mental, relational. He had financial concerns. He, he had every experience 
Did he get stuck in this cycle of wandering away from God and saying, God, I need help, and then coming back to God? No, with the Spirit's help, here's an emotional, relational, sexual, physical, mental, spiritual being who walked his entire life in connection and intimacy with God, and it changed how he behaved at every volleyball game. I want to be like Jesus. This is what we're being invited into. So would it be said of Jesus that in those days there was no king, so Jesus did whatever he saw fit? No. In those days, Jesus had a king, and he did as God saw fit. Because if you didn't know, Jesus' political world was a nightmare. What did he do? Wait for the government to fix things? Wait for the next emperor or ruler? Wait for the right economic system to come in play. Once we fix education, we'll get this right. Wait, wait, wait. Or did Jesus know he had a king in heaven and lived in sovereign connection to that king, intimate connection with that king, and that changed how he behaved? Jesus had health crises, political crises. The religious time that he lived in was chaos. The church that he went to was a train wreck, and yet Jesus had a king, a father he answered to in every up and down. He walked in obedience to God, and it changed the trajectory of his life. And he is our model of how to live. And you might go, well, there's situations that I face that Jesus didn't face. Really? The Bible says he was like us in every way, just not without with sin. He had the Spirit of God working in him, and he submitted fully in intimate relationship with God. I, I want to show you how the Bible is connected from beginning to end. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go all the way to the end to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Just to give you an example of how the Bible is unified from beginning to end, I want to read to you some words from Jesus' best friend on earth, the Apostle John. Listen to what the Apostle John says about a relationship with God. We know that we have come to know Jesus if we keep his commands. We know that we've come to know Jesus if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know Jesus, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. How many times have I said, I know Jesus, but then I live exactly the opposite. I'm a liar, the Bible says. I'm a Christian at work. I'm a Christian at home. I'm a Christian mom, dad, teacher. I'm a Christian student. But I do whatever the heck I want at a volleyball game. Who's the fool? Who's the liar? Me. And that doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes, but if the pattern of my life is constantly a lie against the one I say I believe in, then who's fooling who? But if anyone obeys his word, John says, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. Whoever claims to be in him. I know Jesus. How do we really know? Not by saying I know who Jesus is, but living like Jesus lives. You know what that means? When the world is in political crisis, I live like Jesus lives. 
When the religious community is in, in crisis, what do I do? I live like Jesus. When someone in my life is mentally struggling, I live like Jesus. When someone disagrees with me, I live like Jesus. When the ref makes a stupid call, I live like Jesus, which is so incredibly hard. But in these difficult days, Jesus is or is not your king. In these difficult days where economics and politics and wars and rumors of wars and up and down and left and right and all kinds of people are saying, I believe, I'm a follower, I'm a Christian. In these difficult days that we live in, Jesus is your king, yes or no. If the answer is yes, walk like him. Live like him, obey him. Which means when your sexuality is against what the Bible teaches, what do you choose? You choose the way of God, which is incredibly hard, but Jesus did. When politics don't go the way you want them, what do you do? You go to God and live like he would live. When the church when your finances, when your relationships, everything's a train wreck. What do you do? The muscle memory of our lives, the sons and daughters of God, is we walk with the power of the Spirit like Jesus did. And when we do that, I can forget and overlook and not remember God, but I'll build up a muscle memory of whatever comes my way. I walk like Jesus my default will be not what I feel like at a bad call. I'll control my mouth. When relationships go sideways, I'll seek peace. I'll forgive the person that's hurt me over and over and over again because that's what Jesus did. And so, so many of us, we, I know we struggle. This is hard. The reality is I will forget God, I will ignore God, I will disown God, I will make all kinds of mistakes, but with his help and the power of the Spirit of God, I can look and act like Jesus. So I have to say, God, I'm sorry for the wandering and I'm gonna start following you. I'm gonna trust you today and I wanna live like Jesus. Father, please help us because this is so incredibly hard. Not only do we have Jesus' salvation, but we have the sanctifying power of his spirit living inside sons and daughters so that we can be different. We want to break the cycle of wandering and crying when the pain is too much. Instead, we want to live in connection and intimacy with you. Jesus' life was difficult, God, but you were with him always to the very end of the age. You promised that to him. You promised that to us. Help us. Strengthen us. Forgive us. Help us to know your word because it's what's going to make us whole. Teach us to center ourselves on your truth and not our feelings. Forgive us for giving in to the gods of our culture instead of following you. Please, God, help us. We need you.